Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty's Spotlight Interviews. I'm Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with insight from a different perspective of the Business Fights Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. I'm delighted to be joined today by Sue Garrard from Unilever. She is currently the Senior VP of Sustainable Business Development and Communications at Unilever, where she is currently responsible for 180 markets covering media relations, employee engagement, public affairs and issues in crisis handling. This year, she was listed as second in PR Week's Power Book um, list of most influential UK-based corporate PR professionals. Sue CV reads, former non-executive director of the Serious Organised Crime Agency, vice chair of the Advertising Association, previously director general, customer strategy, marketing, communications at the work, uh, Department of Work and Pensions. And most recently, Sue has also announced her departure from Unilever after eight years. Sue, welcome to Business Fights Poverty. Thanks. Great to be here. Um, so first of all, your career really spans a kind of PR, employee engagement, sustainability agenda. Have these business areas converged since your time at Unilever? Well, it feels somehow like all the individually great but seemingly odd when you sequence them bits of my background have really magically come together for my time at Unilever. Of course, what's really made that come true is the fact that sustainability is increasingly at the heart of the business. Sustainability is therefore at the heart of what we communicate. Helping our employees really feel empowered so that every single one of them can can act like an owner of that agenda and almost like an activist. And understanding how you change a business for the better by putting environmental and social sustainability practices at their heart really all collide and so it's been incredibly fortunate uh, for me to be able to somehow leverage all the bits of my background all in one role. And have you seen those different areas um, evolving in that time as well? Absolutely. I'd say one particular thing that uh, less that it's evolved, more that we have developed it, is a shift from this old-style mentality of top-down, one-way internal communication. If you think we're an organization of well over 150,000 employees across those 180 countries, it's very easy to do command and control-style communication. But I don't really believe in in that from a, a central point. I think most people ignore it for a start. What people want to do is feel really deeply connected with the organization that they work for. We know that most people, even now, 10 years on from the global recession, feel that they come to work because they need to earn their money, but a worrying small number actually feel connected with the purpose of the business. And when they do feel that they can live their own personal values at work, their level of motivation goes through the roof. And it's much better for them. It helps with mental health issues. It helps with productivity. So I definitely list, um, for us, a shift from employee uh, to employee engagement from internal communications and the mentality of actually 
giving power away and creating an organization that is very clear what you stand for and then can operate with a lot of freedom within that very tight framework, I think has been one of the really liberating things for people at Unilever. And the second I would cite is the speed at which the sustainability agenda is moving, which is marvellous about time, but very, very difficult to keep on top of. And I can unpack that a bit more for you a bit later on if you want. Well, thank you very much, Sue. I think, yeah, we would love that. So moving on a little bit and perhaps a, a bit of an opportunity to unpack that a little bit more. So we're looking at uh, our businesses and how we can be forced for good in many respects. So um, looking at social impact through corporate activities. So what do you think the sort of top three future trends you see for businesses and their social impact work? Well, I think... Before we go into trends, it's really important to understand context. So if you if you look, I guess the the really totemic piece of work on this is the Edelman Trust Barometer, but we see it all around us. But the relationship between citizens and frankly most big institutions, not just business, but certainly major companies, is really worryingly low. Uh, and if you look at in a lot of mature markets, how flat consumer growth is. And if you work in a business, these are very worrying uh, signals uh, in terms of prospects for growth. So I think there's an underlying really big question, which is how can we help consumers to believe again that there is a positive force for good in major business, both in terms of their desire to buy the products, but also in their belief in how we operate. And I think a lot of that is going to frame trends. And I think the other thing that is going to frame trends probably stems partly from the same thing, but it's about people's desire to feel that they are uh, there's more meaning in their everyday purchases, that they really know the brands that they're buying, that they know where the food has come from if it's a food brand. This question of provenance is absolutely crucial. Uh, and I think that the world has shrunk. And so the sense that it really doesn't matter who made your, your products doesn't hold true anymore. So against that background, I think we will see companies that are really being bold and brave and embracing real transparency. Not, oh, I'll be transparent about this, but I won't be about that. Uh, I don't think transparency is something you can treat like pick and mix, but really embracing transparency to give consumers deep levels of information about how the products are made, I think is one trend. I would say that uh, another trend is about helping consumers understand the business behind the brand. So it's fine to be transparent about your product, but how much energy and water are used? And I think even more importantly, uh, and this is the third trend, how are companies using their whole value chain as a force for good? So how much do you know as a consumer about where and how your products are made? Are they made uh, in China? Uh, under very oppressive conditions? Are the people making it working in safe or dangerous conditions? And I think that people more and more, because our world has shrunk, feel a sense of conscience about the people who bring products to them. So I think that sense of uh, 
positive social impact right the way through the through the value chain is just going to become more and more important because I think that citizens will demand it. Thank you. So what would be your advice to people in other businesses who are championing this kind of shared value approach, looking at transparency, trying to understand how to really kind of unpick purpose and get behind the brand and how to kind of make sure there's value in, in throughout that value chain? What would be your advice to them as they're trying to get this on the on the board table, I guess, on the on the exec table within their businesses? I think I've got one main piece of advice. And one kind of subsidiary piece of advice. Uh, uh, and the main piece uh, of advice is to be absolutely clear what your business case is. So the, the biggest risk really in this area is that it continues to be pumped up CSR. Um, and I regard CSR as something that you do on the side of the business in order to continue to justify not changing the core of your business. And that that is a basically fundamentally a flawed approach. So what the business has to do is to understand that this is not large-scale philanthropy and a part of the business that, if you're lucky, will break even. You need to do really quite deep work to really look at where your business opportunities and challenges are and to marry up uh, delivery of environmental but also particularly uh, social sustainability benefits in a way that you can leverage either for growth or to reduce your costs or your risks. If you can't basically trace a benefit back to your business case, then you have to really ask yourself what the question is. And by the way, it can take two or three years to work out how you build the business case. That's absolutely fine. This is one of those classic Rome wasn't built in a day situations. So that's my main piece of advice. The other piece of advice is that you need to think really fairly long term for this because these sorts of changes are quite quite new for businesses. Uh, and as I said uh, just a moment ago, there is no instant uh, solution and there's no formula and very few precedents for how you drive this change. So you need a long term mentality. You need to believe inherently that being a business that is run in a way that can actually demonstrate social good is good for your business and that it's worth sticking at because it, it will take you quite some time. If you don't believe that, then you'll get about a year down the road and the, all the other forces of trying to run a business, make a profit, meet short-term targets will simply turn over. So that understanding how your leadership can lead for this and give the space to carry on pushing for change is absolutely critical. Thank you. So Business Fights Poverty, we include um, people from across business, NGOs, social enterprise, academia and policy makers. Um, how can this network better help uh, Unilever's reach and ambitions um, and also the sort of social impact potential? I mean, particularly as, as Unilever in many respects has been championing and leading this. Agenda. Yeah, I, I think the answer for Unilever is probably the same as it is for a lot of other particularly bigger organizations. The sorts of challenges that we're looking at, so let's take an example, let's take growing tea, which happens in Africa and India and Bangladesh, uh, very specific parts of the world where the climate and the conditions are right. Um, 
the there are huge issues around the social conditions in which the tea pickers and the and the tea farmers actually work. Now, big organisations like us want to make sure that people who pick the tea earn enough money uh, and have the right kind of social and human rights at work uh, from safety and so on and so forth. But it's impossible for us to ensure any of that on the ground. And increasingly, I think we live in a world where problems need to be solved by networks and partnerships and people who all share the same objectives but who can bring a, a different area of expertise or funding or particular passion point to bear. So I think what's fantastic uh, about Business Fights Poverty is that you provide access to a huge network of organizations, some of whom will have a point of view and, and uh, knowledge and expertise, and some of whom uh, will have knowledge on the ground or know people who will. And in the changing economy that we work in, all of that and the sense of identifying and working with partners in a very different way is simply going to become more and more important. Thank you. Um, so for our Business Rights Poverty Network, what would be your call to action? What would you like us to do? I'd like you to identify um, some of the most critical SDGs. I think the SDGs are very under the, under leveraged at the moment and identify where the key parts of the world are, where change can be driven, and help form um, informal coalitions to, to drive change. I think there's also another really interesting question here, which is something that in the old days uh, government would have done. I did a lot of this work when I worked in government, which is actually helping people, the normal everyday citizen, understand much more about where the problems in the world lie, where the solutions are, what individuals can do to contribute just a tiny amount towards a change, and how if everybody does just a little bit, that actually adds up to a significant amount. So I'd love to see you using the SDGs as a springboard to drive coalitions, and I'd love everybody to in, the, uh, in your coalition to actually find ways of, of bringing consumers on the journey more actively. I've seen a huge shift in consumer levels of interest and concern from five years ago where people would say, oh, we're really worried about what's happening to our world, but it's far too big and complicated for us. We just want to bury our heads in the sand and have government sort it out in that way that people do. That shifted dramatically to Everybody has to do that bit, their bit. Everybody is accountable. But by the way, I'm just a normal Joe and I need somebody to decode and simplify this for me so I know what being a responsible consumer really is. And I think if we can actually tap into that shift in mentality, we could get an enormous groundswell of change, which would be such a powerful force in each of our communities, it would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Thank you. Um, now, I, I deeply care about um, knowing a bit more about you, sir, if you don't mind. So I've got five little questions uh, that I'd love to ask you, which are a bit more about yourself personally. Um, so if you're happy, I will um, crack on and ask these five questions. Please, far away. <laughs> so who inspires you? 
Right, this is a great question. Of course, the stereotypical answer is Nelson Mandela, etc., 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 and of course that's true. But I'll tell you much more recently, uh, and something that's touched me at a much more personal level, has been one of the winners uh, of our Young Social Entrepreneur Awards. It's a young medical doctor in Indonesia called Gamal Al Bin Said, who has set up a system where normal consumers can exchange plastic garbage for insurance tokens to get access to free healthcare. So he's actually solving not just one, but two of the Indonesian government's problems. Utterly brilliant. Blimey. That's yeah. Awesome. Makes you feel very humble. This guy's 26 years old. Amazing. Um, and then what are you most excited about in the rest of 2018? Well, I'm obviously excited about um, what I'm going to do next in my career. Um, but I think in terms of the wider perspective, I think that Blue Planet 2 was a colossal turning point. And I've talked quite a lot in our conversation about consumers, citizens, whatever label you want to put on. But I think if you remember back to the first half of this year, the extraordinary reaction around what we are doing to our oceans uh, through plastics pollution. I think that that has created a level of concern and awareness that will never go backwards. And of course, plastics is the most visible way of seeing uh, wide-scale pollution, environmental pollution everywhere that is destroying our planet. But I think that that has paved the way for a completely different level of concern uh, amongst people, whether that's about waste, whether it's about climate change. And I, and I really believe now that there is an opportunity in a way that simply wasn't even a year ago to really actively take citizens on that journey, both from a government point of view, from an NGO point of view, and critically from a business point of view. I think businesses are now set to change the world, and I think it's their duty. Thank you. Um, and how do you stay motivated? Well, it's very simple. I do what I love. Uh, my one lesson in life is, uh, no matter how interesting something is on a piece of paper, if it doesn't give you a buzz, then you shouldn't do it because unless you believe in reincarnation, you know, uh, we only get one crack at this. And I'm very lucky to do things that I feel are deeply meaningful and they speak to my own sense of values and purpose, which is a privilege. So what does personal success look like for you, Sue? <laughs> oh, well, riding my horse three times a week right up there. Uh, uh, and I say that only slightly facetiously because it's all very well to do all this fascinating work stuff, but you have to stay, I think, balanced and grounded as a person. So for me, success is also about uh, staying fit, looking after myself, staying grounded. The horse has no idea who I am or what I do. He just knows if the signals that I give him when I'm on top of him are the right ones. And if they're not, then I'm in trouble. Um, so that's one half of my answer. I think personal success really increasingly is about seeing the difference of, from my work and seeing that it has a real impact for the better in the real world. And of course, 
that's fairly tiny, the impact of one person. But you start to look at what you can achieve through teams and organizations, and then the scale of that positive impact is amazing. So I think, for example, about the fact that we're working now to try and improve the lives of 5 million women, and you'll know how important women empowerment is, both to the women themselves and, and to economies across the world. We will make a measurable impact, positive impact on 5 million women. That is not a bad thing to say you've been a part of. Impressive. And finally, um, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out on their career? Yeah, well, I've already said it really, which is uh, be really attuned to what gives you energy and what drains your energy. Because no matter how capable you are intellectually, of doing a wide range of things. What will keep you motivated? So the answers to most of the questions you've just fired at me are all about really being uh, in touch with yourself and understanding what makes you tick. And it's really worth spending quite some time figuring that out. Um, and some people find it easier than others. I'm going to avoid the obvious gender stereotype there because although it exists to some extent, it's certainly a, uh, a bit too much of a generalization. But you need to really understand what you get motivation from and why uh, and then explore the kinds of roles and jobs and futures that will play to not just to your intellectual strengths but to your deep values and purpose and, and sense of motivation. Because if you do that, we all know, don't we, when you're doing something you're passionate about, then you feel limitless in your in your ability and your productivity is massive. Equally, when you're doing something that is really not very motivating, the days are long, you do things less well, you do them massively more slowly, and that's no way to live a life. So I think it's all about really understanding yourself really in the early stages of your 20s up to about 25 is being open to that sense of self-discovery. Sue Garrett, thank you very much. My pleasure. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty.